All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to this evening shoe, which is going to be a, a bit of a roller coaster as far as trying to get as much material as possible in the limited amount of time that we have. Um, I trust everybody can see um, the, the, what we have on the screen in front of us. And uh, perhaps the topic was a little bit deceiving because I'm not really going to be talking about shaitals tonight in as much as I'm going to be talking much more about the concept of hair covering in general as it uh, presents itself in this week's parasha. Um, it definitely deserves another shear to talk about the, the quality of the hair covering as opposed to what we're going to deal with tonight, which is much more the quantity or the essence of the idea uh, altogether. All right, so let's start. So uh, this week is Parshat Naso, and uh, there is an infamous story in this week's parasha, which is, uh, <coughs> is, is it's quite troubling on so many different levels. So the issue that we're going to be dealing with is what's called the Sota. So if I'm not mistaken, there's a, a Naomi Reagan book of the uh, same topic. And the Sota is the suspected adulteress. So the way that the, uh, the Torah presents the story is that there's a man who suspects that his wife has been unfaithful with a specific individual. So let's say Ruvain expects his wife Leah is having a relationship with uh, Shimon. So he goes with witnesses up to Leah and says, I see you have spent time with Shimon and uh, I don't want you to spend any time with him. And uh, I, this is an official warning. Now, the next day, Leah comes outside of a hotel room and in tow comes Shimon. And there are witnesses that uh, see this event take place. Now, no one knows what has happened behind closed doors. Were Leah and Shimon, did they have a, a sexual relationship? Did they not have one? If they did have one, so Ruvain is prohibited to his wife, and that's the halacha, that if a, an adulteress is prohibited to her husband. If, if not, then they are permitted to one another. But since there's been this process of warning, so the Torah says, all right, since uh, we don't know, we need to ascertain. So the Torah says, <coughs> you, take the, you take your wife up to Yerushalayim, and you will make a drink. You bring a sacrifice, and you make a drink, a particular potion, particular uh, mixture of uh, something written from the Torah and ashes from the altar. She drinks it. And if she's innocent of all uh, of any crime, so it says that she will, she will give forth a child. And if she's guilty, her stomach will distend and she will die a terrible death. Okay, that's a very bizarre story. And it is one that uh, in many ways needs to be understood within the context of the time. But part of the process when the husband will bring his wife we get to this first source over here in the sheets in front of you. And I'm just, so we've got our little, my little pen. So he said, so he bring, husband brings his wife. He made her Kohen, et shalif na Hashem. So he brings his wife and presents her in front of Hashem, i.e. in the Beit HaMikdash. Uparat Rosha Isha. And the priest sell Porah the Rosh. So the word para, the English translation, so shall bear the woman's head. So then he places uh, hands meal offering of remembrance and then and then it should be water business and okay. The point is that he's parat Rosha Isha. So what is this parat Rosha Isha process? What exactly is going on here? So he says, so Rashi brings the uh, explanation, Upara Sote it kliat saara. So he undoes, soter is to 
to soteric can mean to contradict, but in this context means to uh, to let go, <coughs> to unravel. Her plaited hair would be undone in order to humiliate her, to make her look despicable. Mikan leave not Israel shigalui harosh genai lahem. From here we learn that gilui harosh, that uh, the the uncovering of a woman's head is considered uh, a disgrace to them. Now, you should know, this is the one and only source in the entire Torah that refers to a woman's head. Okay? Nowhere else is, is, is it referred to. Now, to understand a little bit of the context, like why is this part of the process? Why is this what's being done? So, the Rashi and the Gemara <coughs> elsewhere explain that this woman is one who did an act. Now, even if she's innocent of the crime that she's been accused, she is still being beyichud. She's still been alone with this guy. She's been warned to stay away from this guy. She's he's acted in an, in an improper uh, and definitely flirtatious manner with this with this Shimon character. So even if she hasn't committed an act of adultery, nevertheless she's been she's been doing things that are not considered appropriate for a married woman to be done. And as a result. She has to go in front of the, in the temple, in the coin, and she has to be humiliated. Now, what is the whole idea here of the humiliation? She acted, and this is what the Gemara says, she acted in a way that lacked respect, self-respect and dignity. So the Torah is going to make her lose self-respect and dignity. So it's not an issue, do, do, we, uh, do we uncover her hair? But the whole process is one that is centered around humiliating the woman. Okay, now... Granted, the husband clearly has not been a good husband. No, adultery is always a symptom of an underlying problem rather than a problem in and of itself. That being said, what is inferred from here, if we're going to say that by uncovering the woman's head, we are humiliating her, must be that a woman who does not want to be humiliated has her hair covered. That is the the inference that is learned from this particular pasuk. So, a dignified person, if the whole, whole idea of this whole process is to humiliate and to take away her grace and her dignity, it must mean that a woman with grace and dignity always have her hair covered. Now, the way the Torah, the Rashi here brings it out is two ways. One, he talks about the fact that the unbraiding of her hair, which sounds like the problem isn't, so to speak, covering the hair in as much as it's disheveled hair. And there are definitely within the you know, the Jewish world the idea that a in the, especially if you see in the <coughs> in the the ultra orthodox world in particular that this idea is brought down not only for uh, for married women but for single women as well that single women albeit they don't have to cover their hair but you always see that it is absolutely you will never see um, a, a Haredi girl who does not have her hair tied up it all ha- always has to be tied up. So you will never see long flowing hair or just, you know, un- untied. It has to be tied up. And that's based on this idea that a woman, a self-respecting woman, have her hair in that way. But with regards to the covering of the woman, it is a g'nai lahem. That's the way the Russian brings it. It is a disgrace. It is to them to have their hair uncovered. So what are we dealing with this whole idea that, that the Torah is coming is to develop a, a system where how are Jewish women supposed to behave? And so what it's been looked at is almost in a negative way. Now, I was speaking to someone over Shabbat about this whole concept, which, you know, they, they found a little bit troubling. It says that, you know, this is a mitzvah that is, uh, 
you know, it's a, a woman's mitzvah, you know, to cover her hair, and so it's such an important mitzvah, and yet it's learned out of humiliating her. It's like, what a, what a strange way Chazal and rabbis have decided that we're going to teach this beautiful mitzvah. So I don't, I don't mean to break any uh, hard-held beliefs, but, <coughs> but uh, uh, there's no mitzvah for a woman to cover her hair if the word mitzvah means commandment. Thou shalt cover your hair after me. There is no mitzvah per se. And so that's something we have to uh, take away. So for example, if I say, is there a mitzvah for, for, a, a, for a man to wear clothes? So we, he says, no, there's no mitzvah. But what do we know about people who don't wear clothes? Is there are people with no self-respect. So as part of being a tselem elokim, of being made in the image of God, and appreciating the sanctity that is in that image. So that sanctity requires that we conduct ourselves and carry ourselves in a certain way. But not that it's a mitzvah, thou shalt wear uh, clothes. But rather a person who doesn't wear clothes is lacking a basin, basic human uh, sensitivity to the tselem akim, to the divine image that is within them. So that same idea is with regards to a woman's hair covering. It's not a matter that... There's this beautiful mitzvah called uh, Kiso Rosh. And as much as we want to draw it up, the reality is the way that the Torah is presenting it over here is that a woman who does not cover her hair lacks the self-respect and dignity that we expect women to carry themselves with. That is what the Torah says. Okay? Now, before anyone gets uh, upset with me and offended, that this is not going to be as clear-cut as it. But definitely, by, if we're talking about in the times of the Torah, that this was something that is considered self-evident, that a person who carries himself in such a way would dress in such a way. And I think it would be fair to say that throughout history, as, as, as fashion has shifted and as uh, the societal acceptance of different uh, behaviors and dress for both men and women over time, things that uh, no self-respecting uh, man would have ever considered uh, dyeing his hair or shaving his beard. You know, go. No self-respecting man would have shaved his beard. Nowadays, we do, and no self-respecting woman would ever allow you know her her wrists, her ankles to be shown. What well, times have shifted, and 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 so that's something we're gonna have to deal with in Alakha. But that's the basic source of it. Okay, so that's uh, source number one. If at any point someone has a question, please hold your hand up or unmute yourself. I think everyone can unmute themselves and go from there. All right. So that's the basic source in the Torah. So we go now into the Gemara. And this is a Gemara, interestingly enough, I'm learning this uh, by myself uh, in, in a course that I'm doing. So we are currently dealing with um, when, when, so a ketubah, uh, when, uh, when, when you get married, a man gives his wife a ketubah and much misunderstood like the kisoi rosh, like the head covering, the ketubah is often misunderstood as this beautiful marriage document which it is definitely not. A ketubah best is defined as divorce insurance, that it is a divorce insurance policy that the, wife, the husband gives to the wife. In event that he divorces her, he's going to have to pay certain amounts of money. In fact, the way that the Talmud brings it up is why, does it, why did the rabbis institute the ketubah? So it shouldn't be easy for him to divorce her. Because if he could just divorce her and not have to, and it wouldn't cost him anything, then any man could potentially divorce his, his wife for no reason whatsoever. But now that it's going to cost him a lot, he'll think twice. Okay, God, it's still in a parochial society. But that being said, is that was the idea behind it. 
So there are certain cases where a woman will be denied her ketubah due to her behavior. So the Mishnah here in, in Masechet Ketubot, in the, the tractate that deals with the Ketubot, is going to deal with different kinds of women that lose their ketubah for behavior that they have, uh, they have done. So the Mishnah says as follows, you've got the English translation under there. These are the women that when they get divorced, if their husband's divorced, then they do not receive a ketubah. Those who transgress something called dat moshe, which will come explained, and dat yuhudit. So dat, dat means the laws and rules, the law, the religion of moshe and yuhudit. So uh, continues. My dat moshe. So what is, so she transgresses dat moshe. What is dat moshe? So it says, machilato so she feeds him food, uh, fruits and vegetables that have not been tithed. <laughs> or well, they have relations when she says she's been to the mikveh, but she hasn't been to the mitzvah. <laughs> or she hasn't taken challah from the dough. <laughs> or she's made oaths that she cannot fulfill. Basically, this dart Moshe, are things that she is doing different acts that are going to affect him. So, she, so a good example would be, she's feeding him treif. So her husband comes and he says, oh, this, this beef is unbelievable. How is it so delicious? You've, ne- you've never made beef this good. She says, ah, I tricked you. It's pork. So that is, a, she, he can divorce her. He does not have to give her ketubah. So that's Dat Moshe. And it's clear that these are things that is causing her, she is causing her husband to transgress Torah prohibitions. And now in the, in the, in the bolded section. But dat Yehudit, Vezu dat Yehudit. So what is this dat Yehudit? This, the laws of Yehudit. It's Judaism, Jewry, Jewish women. So it says Yotzaah v'rosh parua. She goes out with her hair uncovered. V'tava b'shuk umedaberet im koladam. Or she's weaving in the in the shuk umedaberet im koladam. Or she's talking to everyone. So that would seem to be much more flirtatious behavior. So her uncovered head, she's, uh, she's weaving in the, in, in the shuk, and she's, uh, she's speaking, she's flirting. So the, now the Gemara continues. So it says, okay, she goes out with her head uncovered. So we said, hold up. That's Dat Yehudit. So Dat Moshe, we said, she's causing him to transgress Torah prohibitions. So, so you can divorce her because she's, she's Torah things. Dat Yehudit is going to be a lower level of transgression than Dat Moshe. So the Gemara says, Rosh Parua, Dorati is hold on. For her to go out with the hair completely uncovered, you can't call that Dat Yehudit. You can't say it's, it's, it's Dat Moshe, it's Dorati, it's from a Torah prohibition. And it quotes our verse, Dichtivu para Rosh Isha. You see that from the Torah it says, you, 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 you uncover her hair. So it sounds from a Torah point of view, if she goes out with her hair uncovered, so she would be a problem of Dat Moshe, i.e. it's a Torah prohibition. And there is a warning, this, this verse that we've read, read in, our, in our parasha, that a woman should not go out with her hair uncovered. This is a warning that women should not have their hair uncovered. So the Gemara answers, that Midoraita from Torah law, as long as she has a, a kalta, is like a basket of some form, but as long as she has something on her head, that would be sufficient from a Torah point of view. 
But from a tsniut point of view, from a modesty point of view, from a zdat yuhudit point of view, even a basket would not be sufficient. So in, 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 our, in our terms, so let's just use, these are not in, entirely accurate, but I think for the purposes of illustration, they're accurate enough, that if a woman <coughs> wears just like a, a, a doily, so in, um, I think it's called a, a, a wifty, a wispy, I think I was told that in if you go into Orthodox shuls, modern Orthodox shuls in America, you will see that um, as you walk in, so like like we have at our shul that as the men walk in, there's like a little kippah box. So in, in, in I've only seen in North America, when the women walk in, there's like a little box there that has things that can only be compared to being doilies. That's all they look. They look like material doilies. And the women like put them in their hair, almost like a kippah, but it looks like a doily. So, if a woman wears a doily, according to this, well, definitely it's, it's not good enough from a deity who did point of view, but from a Torah point of view, it would be sufficient. Okay? That, that would be uh, seemingly uh, the example that's bring over here. So, the Gemara continues, and I don't want to go into too much detail on the Gemara. <coughs> it says that, um, ideally, that she should have her hair covered, but, uh, so, deity who did, if she's, if she's if her hair is uncovered in a semi-private place, would problem would not be a problem. So the Gemara over here does say that at home, that in a woman's home she would not need her hair covered at all. In public, if she doesn't cover her hair, it would be a Torah prohibition. But in a semi-public, semi-private domain, uh, if she hair is not covered, that would be a problem of that. You would it. That's uh, that's the that's the point. Okay, and this is the way it's paskened in Halakha. So this is the Shulchan Aruch. And it says, Ezu dat yudit. So what is dat yudit? Hu minhag hatsniut nahagu benot Yisrael. This is the minhag, this is the customs of modesty that benot Yisrael, that the daughters of Israel are accustomed to. And if, so, if any of the women were to transgress this traditional um, practice of modesty. For example, she goes into public or into a very populated place with her head completely uncovered. She has no hair covering, no shawl at all. Even if she has some level of covering, it's not, that would be that Yehudit. So what we have over here is to understand is we've got seemingly three levels of uh, prohibition or three levels of the halacha. First is with regards to a woman who has no hair covering whatsoever. So that seems to be, that would possibly be a Torah prohibition. When she has something on her hair, <coughs> that she goes, um, she, sorry, say that again. According to the Shulchan Aruch, even if she's in public, with no hair covering whatsoever, it would only be a transgression of tsniut. It would not be a Torah prohibition. The, this would appear to be a rabbinic prohibition. So even though the Gemara seemed to suggest that completely hair covered, you know, the hair was not covered at all, it would be a Torah prohibition, says the Shulchan Aruch, no, it would only be dat yuhudit, this concept of tsniut. Okay, so I know that was a lot of uh, technical jargon, but let's just bring it down to exactly what we're talking about. Like, what, what, what is the conclusion over here? So the idea of woman having hair covering, it is clear that it is something that in, in Torah times 
was was it was a sign of dignity to have one's hair covered and a sign of lacking dignity and grace if it was uncovered. And it is part of the mitzvah of tzni'ut. There is no mitzvah per se, other than the broad mitzvah of being tzanua. Now, I think we have to appreciate that within the Torah, there are concepts of, let's call it, the, the obligation, that what the Torah says, thou shalt. And there's a certain spirit within the law that uh, Hashem says, uh, so for example, uh, let's law, use the laws of Shabbat. So on Shabbat, there are technical laws. So you can't do this, you can't do that. But there are also, there's a spirit of law. So if, what's the difference between putting my, my uh, hot plate to heat food on Shabbat on a timer and my TV also on a timer to, to, to watch? Technically speaking, they're exactly the same thing because one enhances the spirit and the atmosphere of Shabbat and the other detracts from it. So Tzni'ut falls much more into this idea that is a definitely a will of Hashem that, uh, that men and women, but in this case, women conduct themselves with a certain level of modesty. But it's not dealing with thou shalt be modest. And the reason that it falls into the spirit is spirit changes over time. Things that are considered acceptable at one period of time are considered completely unacceptable at other times. Slavery was a good example. Slavery was completely was ubiquitous throughout the world and now not accepted. And other times, things that were not accepted are now accepted. And so certain levels of modesty uh, and, and the like. So things have changed. Men doing women's jobs, women do men's jobs and the like. These things have shifted over time. The question is, how does halacha evolve with regards to this? So it's going to come up in a very interesting uh, area of halacha um, with regards to uh, tzni'ut. Because when we talk about being modest, is this just a woman's mitzvah. Now, when I say is it just a woman's mitzvah, um, I don't mean that do, do men not have to be tzanua. Men are also obligated to be tzanua. And tzanua, tzniut for men, doesn't only mean in the way they speak and behave, but also means in the, in the way that they dress, in the way they in, in, interact with other people. There's also mitzvah tzniut. But when it comes to a woman being tzanua, can she say, you know what, my mitzvah, I dress the way I want and they shouldn't look. And this is their problem. It's their obligation to not, not look, not my obligation to protect them. So where does this, this concept come in halacha? And that comes in when the obligation is on the man to not look at something not sanur. Okay, So there's definitely an obligation that I, <coughs> I shouldn't be looking at things that are immodest. And there's another question about women who are doing things that are immodest. But the two are two separate obligations. Okay. So one is, I have to, so the same way as uh, um, if, if there's a dispute, my apologizing to him and him apologizing to me should have nothing to do with one another. If he apologizes to me, that's his problem, but I have an obligation to apologize. So these ideas that your mitzvah is to judge favorably. So a good example is that um, the concept of marit ayin, or chashad, that you see me at McDonald's, and, uh, and you judge me, you think I'm eating at McDonald's. So you have an obligation to judge me favorably. Then think, if Krebs is at McDonald's, maybe he's only using the toilet. And I have an obligation to not go into McDonald's that shouldn't trip you up to think that I'm doing something inappropriate. We both have the obligation. So tzni'ut is people have an obligation to be tzanua, men and women. But me, I have an obligation to not look at the thing that lacks tzni'ut, both male and female. So where does this come up? 
practically in halacha. So it's, we can say, you know, when you walk down the street, you shouldn't look at things that are not sinua. That's all well and good. But practically, when does it come? And that comes when it comes to, uh, to davening. So when I'm coming to daven, I should not be looking at things that are immodest. So here's the Shulchan Aruch, and this is men and women, but the Shulchan Aruch brings it down. So hair of a woman that is accustomed to be covered, it is forbidden to say the Shema in front of it. So if a woman, whatever hair of a woman is normally covered, if it is uncovered, you cannot say the Shema in front of it. Says the Shulchan Aruch, or says the Ramah, this is the Ashkenazi, even his own wife. But young girls who don't cover their hair, it is permissible. Okay? Uh, and then the Ramah continues. And the same Malach is. The hairs that women have that are outside Litzamatam. So it's some, it was like outside, the, as if they wear tichel. So hair that, you know, wisps of hair that come out of the, you know, the women who, you know, they out in the fields. This is the time. And they come in from the fields and their hair is not completely covered. They're bits and pieces of hair out. But that's, you know, that's what happens. So that's fine. Vakosha kain and not a problem with non-Jewish women's hair. So this is all fun. Afilu Even if women, non-Jewish women um, have a custom that they cover their hair. So what the Shulchan Aruch is saying of, <coughs> is that if there's something that is covered, that is normally covered, and now it's uncovered, so it, it is a problem of Tzni'ut, and therefore I cannot daven in front of it because it is something that I should not be seeing. Now, the, this is just for example, for a man as well. So if, if there's a, if a man who is inappropriately attired, so for example, in a change room, I could not... Uh, daven in front of a man. Why? Because the man is not Sanua. And you cannot daven in that context. So what is considered lack of snoot in a woman? So a number of different ideas, but regarding the hair, is hair that is normally covered is now uncovered. So what you're dealing with over here is a sensitivity to snoot rather than an objective snoot. So whereas when we talked about how a woman should conduct herself, it seemed to be a lot more objectivity over there, that her hair can be covered this much, it has to be covered in public or in private, or whatever, but there's a sort of objective standard of, um, of the hair should be covered and people should go around and cover it. But with regards to me and looking, there seems to be a lot more subjectivity, that if woman's hair is uncovered, and I'm used to that being uncovered, such as non-Jewish women, or such as the few wisps of hair when she comes back from the field, or such as um, uh, unmarried women. Since that is not considered lacking siyut, because it is something that I'm accustomed to see, it would be no problem saying the Shema in front of it. So now, so putting that all together now, becomes this interesting situation, which we're going to hear this, this uh, very pertinent, relevant machloket um, between two modern day uh, poskim. And that is, well, what about nowadays when women don't cover their hair? And this is, uh, the, women not covering their hair is not a phenomenon in the, in the secular West that we are now dealing with. We, throughout Jewish history, there have been periods of time where women did not cover their hair. And so now, almost always when we say a woman who's not covering her hair, it's because she's not observant. 
She she doesn't keep Shabbat. She doesn't keep kosher. And she doesn't cover her hair. And dare I say that you know many most Shomrei Shabbat women that would come to shul, they might not cover their hair outside of shul, but when it comes to shul, they'll cover their hair. It's almost they go hand in hand. That observant women, it's like just you know par for the course. That if you do this and do this, so so the, you wear a kippah. Well, so you you keep kosher, you keep Shabbat, and you either cover your hair sometimes or all the time. But the, it goes hand in hand. But in Europe, you know, a hundred years ago and before, two, three hundred years ago, some of the commentaries talk about, you had women that were completely committed to Torah, Shomer Shabbat, Shomer Mitzvah, in every sense of the word, but, not co- but would not cover their hair. And the question is, how do we deal with this? So obviously they're living in a society, this is not talking about <coughs> the Arab world, where Ada Yomazeh, women carry their, cover their hair, even unmarried women. But what happens in Europe, in these communities, that women have stopped covering their hair? Now, we're going to see two completely different approaches. One, by the Mishnah Bura, who is otherwise known as the Chofetz Chaim, and his approach to dealing with the question. And the other, by his, what we call the Baal Plukta. So there are two great rabbis that are at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, one in Raden and one in Hungary. And the one in Raden is the Chofetz Chaim, and the one in Hungary is the, um, the Aruch HaShulcha. So look at the way, so we're going to go through each of these. Unfortunately, I don't have the English for these, but I will try to translate them as best as possible. <coughs> so he's talking about, can we say Shema in front of women who don't cover their hair? So, it's, so it says, hair that is meant to be covered. So let me just get my little pen out here. So we are starting over here. Even if her custom is only to cover it when she goes to the shuk, but at home she doesn't cover her hair. So if, even if she, at home she never covers her hair, when she goes out, she always covers her hair. Even then, at home, you cannot say Shema in front of her if her hair is uncovered. And he continues. Veda, and you should know. If, even if that woman and all her chevra, their customers, they never cover their hair. They go to the shuk, they go out in public with their hair uncovered. Like the... Like the women who lack modesty in town. Asur, it is still forbidden. So, for example, it is like, what about the thigh? The thigh of an individual. So we all agree that uh, certain elements of the human form are lack modesty. So you, we might all have different standards of what's considered modest or not. But were to say, were a, per, a woman to arrive at shul in a swimming costume, we would say, no, 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 that's not on. Okay? So we all agree on that. So the question is, can you say shma in front of all? So you're on the beach and there's a woman wearing a swimming costume. Can you say shma? Obviously not. Why? Because it's not sanua. So he says, it's no different over here. Just because the custom has developed that, that women don't cover their hair, that doesn't mean that we, from when it comes to Sami Shema, that we don't have to worry about it anymore. We still have to worry about it. It's, not, it's exactly the same as a, as, 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 the, as a flesh. Okay? Uh, Since there is an obligation, 
from the basic core of halacha, she's obligated to cover her hair. And he quotes, and there's a Torah prohibition if she does not do so. And since this has been a time trial tradition within the community for all women in all generations to cover their hair, it is considered erva, it's considered nakedness if her hair is not covered. It is prohibited to say Shema in front of her. All the Shulchan Aruch is saying that single women don't have to cover their hair. But every other woman, no question, if her hair is not covered, it doesn't matter what she does at home. It doesn't matter what she does in public. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. You may not say Shema in front of a woman whose hair is uncovered. End of story. Now, that's the Mishnah Brewer. This is not some obscure source somewhere in the back alleys. This is the Mishnah Brewer. Now, this becomes a huge question. You know, if you're going to live like this practically, would make it uh, almost impossible to daven in any shul in Sydney. Because even if, um, even if uh, women's hairs are covered, very few women's hair are covered completely. So you'd have to have a shul where either, you, you know, the women are in a completely separate room or there are no women whatsoever. That would be the Mishnah Brewer's understanding of it. And now we go to the Aruch HaShulchan. So Aruch HaShulchan is less well known in, uh, in, in uh, yeshivish worlds. But in, the world, of, uh, in, in, the, in, in uh, the world of Eastern Europe and the West to a large degree, it was in many ways much more accepted. So he says as follows. So he's saying, we just have to lament what's happened in our generations. That we just see that all the women in our communities don't cover their hair anymore. Again, the Aruch HaShulchan is talking not about a non-observing community. He's talking about a frum community. They're all eating glut kosher. They're all eating 100% Shomer Shabbos. They're just not covering their hair. And no matter how much we cry and complain and have uh, protest about it, it's not working at all. The, woman, the married and the single woman, they dress, they, their hair is exactly the same. They don't do it. That in our generation, this is what it's come to. However, even though I lament that this has happened, we cannot say that, that, it, that, that like the Mishnah Brewer, who says that you can't say Shema in front of it because it's as if they're naked. He says, no, it is clear that this has become the custom and our sensitivities now have been somewhat uh, blunted as a result that this is how people dress and this is how people wear. And therefore, it is permissible to say Shema and to daven with women whose hair is uncovered. Okay. Since nowadays, this is how majority of women go about. It's, it, you have to understand, there's no difference nowadays between a woman's hair and a woman's hands. 
because that's just, it's one of those things. So even now, a, a woman's wrist or a woman's ankle, so these were things that once upon a time to see a woman's wrist or ankles, these were things that are considered highly immodest, but we've lost, lost our sensitivity to those things and fashions have changed and now this is considered acceptable part of society. So similarly over here, our sensitivities have become dulled. And therefore, we're not concerned that people are going to be enticed by this. The whole idea of not saying Shema in front of a, a, a something that's not Sanua is the fact that will you be focused on the Shema? Not only, you know, like if there's something alluring around, you're going to be focused on that, not on the Shema. So since that's the case, so you know what I say. But here it's not a concern anymore. Because everybody walks around with their hair uncovered. So everyone's hair is uncovered. So there's not going to be a learn. No, no guy goes to his friend and says, geez, do you see that woman? Her hair is uncovered. It's, it's just not, it doesn't, doesn't work that way anymore. So call a to the, to the Mishnah Brewer who says, oh, you can't do it. These women are all transgressing a terrible Avera. And therefore we can't, uh, we can't say Shemana. But it says the Arach no, 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 no. Things have changed. Okay. So even though the Mishnah Brewer and the Shulchan Aruch are talking about, we said, my perspective of saying Shema in front of women who do not cover their hair. What about the other way around? Has sensitivity come down to the point that we can say, maybe nowadays women don't have to cover their hair. Maybe, maybe we're in a situation where we can be lenient with regards to women covering their hair. So I just quote a couple of sources. So one is, uh, this is a response to Shadz and Shubham Maim Chaim, Rav Chaim Mesas, Chaim Mesas, who was a Rav in Morocco, became the Rav of Haifa. And he says as follows. So this is, he's got the two, two pieces from him, one in his responsa and another from uh, letters that he wrote. <coughs> so he says, No, my child, that the prohibition for women to uncover their hair is extremely well-founded. For the custom practice by all women in ancient times was to cover their hair, and one who did not do so was considered promiscuous. To them, a woman's exposed hair was also considered disgraceful. Therefore, the sages were exceedingly strict based on the custom of their time on account of promiscuity and disgracefulness. Thus, nowadays, when a woman worldwide have abandoned the ancient custom and reverted to simple practice of not covering their hair, it is no way indicates a deficiency in their modesty or promiscuity, God forbid. So he's looking over here. Again, he's not recommending that this is okay. What he's doing is saying that, can we say that a woman who doesn't cover her hair lacks modesty? She says, we can't anymore. It just doesn't. So if, he, if he's asking, if his daughter comes and says, Dad, do I have to cover my hair? He says, of course you do. That is a custom. But, says, but this woman, the boy comes home and says, I've, I found this beautiful shidduch, but she doesn't want to cover her hair. He says, you can't say she lacks sniut. And I, and I think it would be fair to say that this is 100% in, in the communities that we live. No one would say that a covering of hair or not covering hair has got anything to do with sneud. If anything, women cover their hair out of a sense of respect for the shul, but not out of a sense of modesty. I don't think anyone covers their hair out of a sense of modesty, men or women. It's just, it's not seen in that way. So he continues, he says, now, now all women go out with uncovered hairs and loose hair. Consequently, I've devoted myself to try to find a justification for the current practice, for it is impossible to fathom that we can return to the status quo ante. We can't go back to the good old days where it just wasn't questioned. I attempted to search the writings of the legal decisors laid out before me, only to find stringency upon stringency and prohibition upon prohibition. Says that was ideal. Then I set out to fetch knowledge from afar, uh, to draw from the sources, the mission, the Talmud, and commentary uh, before me. Perhaps in them I'd find an opening through which to enter. 
Many thanks to God. We have been at numerous openings to this area, into law for, okay, I'm just going to skip down to here. Um, down to the bottom here. However, it is, sorry, it is, it, it is prohibited for us to uncover women's hair in public to disgrace her for no reason. But in order to punish her commensurately, the Torah permitted this act, the prohibited act to be done in order to disgrace her. However, she herself, so it says, in the Torah, in, in what Rashi said at the beginning, we uncover her hair to disgrace her. But if she does it herself, she herself has no prohibition to go with her hair uncovered. Because she wishes to disgrace herself, she may do so at any time. Accordingly, now that all the daughters of Israel have agreed that hair covering is not an indication of modesty, and certainly the absence of hair covering carries no disgrace, the upshot of all this is that hair covering for women is only obligatory from the standpoint of custom alone. So what he's saying over here is, one, if a, if a woman says, I'm not disgraced by doing this, so it's not disgraced, and we see this in, 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 in all areas. of So people who carry themselves, I'm happy to... You know, if I walk da- around in, in shorts, that's fine. But if someone comes and pulls down my pants and underneath the shorts, that's not okay. There's a difference between you disgracing me and me disgracing myself. But if I choose to behave in a certain way, because I don't believe it's disgraceful. So it says, well, you can't say that that lacks tzni'ut. Tzni'ut is something that we can, uh, you know, it doesn't work in that way. So what Rav Messas is saying over here, and, and it's a fascinating insight. He's trying to judge favorably that you cannot say anymore that not covering your hair is a lack of tzni'ut. And so, even so, as you said earlier, is that it, it, it's just a custom. It cannot show a deficiency in their modesty or show some level of promiscuity. So, let's get back to, in, in summary, what we've dealt with over here. So, in my sharing the screen. So, we're dealing now with a, a case that the whole idea of covering hair is definitely, it was rooted in the concept of sniut of modesty. But as time has progressed, it's clear that there has been a lack of sensitive, well, a, a, a desensitization of us towards things that once upon a time were very modest and now are considered completely acceptable. And halacha, according to those opinions, has evolved with it to the point that from me, being in presence of someone who dresses in that way or has a hair in that way is no longer a problem because I've been desensitized to it. But possibly even for the women themselves, that if they are doing it, they have not, they do not transgress any uh, morals of, um, of, uh, of modesty, that we can still be 100% modest but under different systems. Is it the ideal system? Is it the perfect system? No, and the perfect system would follow the, uh, the, you know, the custom of time old that women would cover their hair. But one cannot judge women that do not cover their hair based on this. That is what they want to say. Now, just anecdotally, so some of the greatest rabbinim of the last centuries, wives did not cover their hair. So Rav Moshe Feinstein's wife did not cover her hair when she lived in Lithuania. Because the, what happened in Lithuania is the custom developed amongst the women of, of the community to not cover their hair. Similarly, the women of uh, Rav Soloveitchik's wife never covered her hair. Why? Because that's what developed in it. It's exactly what the Aruch HaShulchan was talking about. Exactly this case. If you have these women, they're incredibly tsenua. They come from very yeshivisha families, but they don't cover their hair. How on earth does that make sense? So, so he says it makes sense because no one covers their hair anymore. So if no one comes, it's like, why don't we wear, why don't we wear hats? This, you know, 50 years ago, every, or 100 years ago, all men wear hats, wore hats. 
So why don't we wear hats? Answer, we don't wear hats because no one wears hats. No one wears hats anymore. That's why we don't wear hats. Uh, not in shul, not out of shul. No one wears hats. It is gone. So similarly, Sarab Soloveitchik's wife uh, never covered her hair at all. In fact, um, I was once at uh, Rav Soloveitchik's granddaughter for Shabbos. And we were talking about this topic. And she, she said, you know, her husband was a rabbi in a community. And she said, when, I, when, I, when my husband got the job as a rabbi, they expected the Rebbitson to, uh, to cover her hair. And so I covered my hair just to, to support my husband. But after being in the community for a significant period of time, she says, listen, my mother never covered her hair. So the, her mother is Rav Soloveitchik's uh, wife. Sorry, Rav Soloveitchik's daughter. Her mother was um, Dr. Tova Tversky. So she, uh, Dr. Tarek Tversky. So her mother was Rav Soloveitchik's daughter. She never covered her hair growing up. Her, gra- her grandmother never covered her. Rav Soloveitchik's wife never covered her hair growing up. Says, so, so I don't cover my hair. So again, not saying that this is uh, like ideal, but there's definitely something within even the observant community say that there is there's scope to say that possibly hair coverings, definitely never to say that it's somehow normalized, but one can potentially say there's room to judge favorably those who don't cover their hair. But again, assuming it is coming from within a community that their, their observance is committed, it's just this particular area which somehow has been neglected. All right, everybody. I don't know if there are any questions. Happy to take any questions.